This episode proves that a person behind the stage can be just as cool as the person in front of the curtain. Okay, that's an old picture. Anyways, voila and welcome to the workshop of Carmine Street Guitars. That's where you are most likely to meet Rick Kelly and Cindy Hewlich. They are guitar builders. Want to hear one of the many sounds they produce while working on something that is made to resonate too? Here you go. My name is Johanna, last name Schwab. I will be living in New York City for the next six months. As a lover of fashion and its invisible power, of words, voices and questioning, I had the idea to start a podcast. You will be getting a mix here. I'll put my soliloquies on record and do what I like the most. Talk to people whose work and thoughts I find inspiring. This podcast is called Refashion New York City. What you've heard before was Rick stamping his logo onto metal platters. Also, what you've maybe guessed already, this episode is going to be different. Moving from refashioning fashion to the refashioning of wood. But one by one. Carmine Street Guitars is a shop in New York City's famous Greenwich Village. People who've been there call it a relic. They say, this place feels like old New York. That's a huge compliment nowadays. And rarely used. But for places that are real. You know, truly creative and personal. Maybe anarchic too. Carmine Street Guitars is such a place. If the black wooden store door covered with stickers was to speak, it would maybe say, hey, come in, but don't you dare change us here. If you're not too curious or not interested in guitars, you would maybe anyways not go inside. But then you would miss something, namely to meet Rick and Cindy, the shop souls. Cindy is 28 years old and learned to make guitars from Rick. He builds instruments almost twice as long as she's old. They are a dedicated and inviting dream team. And that's why customers not only come to buy, but also to hang. Jim Darmusch is only one of the popular guitar owners and friends. I fell in love with Rick and Cindy watching a documentary about them. Especially Cindy's part intrigued me. Besides building, she embellished guitars with wonderful detailed drawings using a wood burner. Cindy is one of the coolest people I've ever met. Cool, but not cold. We talked about her very early discovery of punk, about working in an art-friendly restaurant, about falling asleep in the cinema sitting behind Ryan Gosling, and the mystery of the molecules, which goes into all of what Cindy and Rick are doing. It has to do with the wood and the history of the shop. The talk ends with some deep insights about life and left me very moved. 
I learned how less expectations paired with dedication and openness can lead to wonderful things. Thank you, Cindy. But now? Okay, Cindy, just to start very easy, uh, you just had birthday, huh? Uh, did you celebrate it? Um, I actually, I mean, I celebrated at the shop with Vic and everybody, but I didn't, uh, I actually didn't do anything. I've had so many orders lately that I kind of just hung out and then I went to bed early <laughs> and got up early for work the next day. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really do anything for my birthday. Yeah. Okay. So that's just for the start, you know, starting with your birthday and then going back, um, To the early days of Cindy somehow. Okay, sorry guys. I forgot to tell you that this is my second meeting with Cindy. Last time she told me that she started dressing as a punk already at the age of seven and that her mom got her a vintage sex shirt from Vivian Westwood at that time. At first she didn't know how much of a treasure that was. That's kind of a funny thing because I didn't even know what the what Vivian Westwood's shop was when I was seven. It was just one of those things that kind of ended up following me everywhere. I would always find like kind of punk rock stuff everywhere. But I, I ended up with this original sex shirt with, you know, the pink tag um, from, you know, London. It was, it was definitely an original. It had the cutout square on the back with the little um, tie that came across all like orange rubber And I, I ended up getting rid of it. And it was one of those things that I never really forgave myself for because I'm such a big Vivian Westwood fan now. And um, I just, uh, I mean, I, I, I think I obviously have a different style, especially when it comes to the guitar world, because there's, I don't know any other builders that are really into punk rock that are building guitars, you know. So I have and, and and art too. So I have this I have this funny crossover between the music world, the underground music world and then the art world, <laughs> which are like two totally different things. Um and then I'm kind of in the middle of it with with a new not a new business, but I mean kind of a new business, you know. I've been doing this almost eight years now. Um I just turned 28, but Custom guitar building, I mean, yeah, it's it's like I, I'm working on Paul Bakija from Reagan Youth's guitar right now, and then I'm also working on uh, a super rich guy who owns a bunch of buildings and stuff in New York. So, I mean, it's, it's a really funny thing for me growing up where I did and how I did and, you know, being into a lot of underground punk and street punk and stuff like that and just growing up with with all kinds of different music but i mean really when i got into that it's just a it's just a funny thing you know you grew up in new jersey or i did yeah I, i grew up in new jersey um i grew up in hazlitt new jersey and then i lived in east windsor new jersey for a while so monmouth and mercer counties sort of central shore is really my hometown though which is about 45 minutes from here on the bus yeah going back to the age of 12 now That's when Cindy, the teenage punker, went to visit the famous store Trash and Vaudeville in New York and became friends with punk icon and longtime store manager Jimmy Webb. He today owns a store called I Need More. There he also presented Cindy guitars. Actually, very prominently, 
on the altar-like shelf behind the sales counter. Yeah, well, I had some guitars there for a while, but I just I've I've had so many orders that I kind of ended up just selling everything. Um, he's got some other guitars in there now that are just kind of standard uh, autographed, you know, tr typical Gibson things or whatever. I don't know exactly what he has in there right now. Okay, the guitars are gone, but there's something Cindy did that is still to find in the store. It has to do with painting on the otherwise totally pink color the store is made of. Um, I did paint the zebra stripes inside all those, like, a couple years ago when he opened, 2017, yeah. Um, I, I hand-painted all the zebra stripes in that store and everything, yeah. Yep. So cool. And um, also last time you told me um, before you came here to Rick to work at Carmine Street Guitars, you worked in a restaurant. And you mentioned Al Hirschfeld, Hirschfeld not easy for me to pronounce, yes. who has these drawings there. And I also found out about him that he hides his daughter's names in the drawings. Did you hear about that? Yes. So I was yes. wondering. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, I, forgot about, I forgot about that until just now. I can't believe I forgot about that detail. Um, yeah, I would always try and find the daughter's name, too. And they are in there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the whole bar, they had three huge murals behind the bar. The, the bar that I and restaurant that I worked at. It was there for about 13, 15 years at the time. Um, it was in Rock Center. The original restaurant was in Rome, um, 1914, it opened. And the nephew of the man who started that, including who had the original fettuccine Alfredo recipe, um, owned the one where I started working. Um, so... It, it was funny that out of all places in New York, I ended up in Rock Center when I came directly from the punk scene. But also it was like an art-based restaurant of, of all like kind of mainstream type things. It's like I ended up there and it was a really cool different experience. But But yeah, they had original prints and murals and... You know, that was kind of inspiring for me when I read about the place. So I, I really dug that it was old school. I really dug that it had that art thing to it. And that's kind of what really got me interested in that. And um, I was there for a bit over two years or so, two, three years. And then, yeah, they their rent got doubled like everybody else in New York. And um, I think it got raised uh, from like 40 to like almost 90 grand a month. And, you know, he had to move and... Um, that's when I got really good unemployment and within like two months I ended up saying, Hey, what am I gonna do? Um, I I really wanted to work with Rick if I was gonna do something with a guitar and guitar building and um and that's when I kinda came here. We're coming to that in a second because you also had a fellowship for the Pratt School. Um yes. and uh but you decided to not go for go for the actual Let's call it actual artwork, no, only to make it easier. Because you said it's yeah. kind of fucked up, which I can totally relate to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what were you thinking not going, not deciding to go there? Was it already about the art world or? No, I mean, I wasn't really thinking that the, I mean, the art world is kind of fucked up, but I, I was kind of more so thinking like, I think that they gave me like pretty much a full scholarship, except they still wanted me to to come up with like almost a grand a month to split like a 12 foot by 15 room, like 12, 12 foot by 15 foot room with someone. And 
I was just sitting there thinking like, I don't, I'm not coming here with money. Like probably most of these kids when it comes down to it, like I didn't come here with a college fund or anything that anybody saved for me or, you know, whatever else. I mean, regardless of the scholarship, it's still a grand a month that I don't have. And then schoolwork on top of it is like, I'm not going to kill myself and then still owe a bajillion dollars for, you know, how many years afterwards and who knows what's going to happen. So I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm just kind of going to do it on my own and save up for my own apartment and kind of figure it out. It's like if you're going to be an artist, which at that point I didn't know what I was doing, you know, right out of high school, it was like I kind of figured I was going to do something with art, but I didn't know what. Um, And I was kind of like, well, I'm not in a band right now. I mean, I can't really rely on that. It's like I didn't really know what was going on. But um, it was kind of just like – Jeez. I don't even, I mean, I don't even really know how to explain it. It was, it was just kind of like, I, I just, I felt like something was going to happen, but I just didn't know what yet. So I just kept working and I was like, I'm going to get myself like a solid foundation and then go from there. And that kind of happened all together because as soon as I got my apartment, I got laid off from that job. I got good unemployment. And then I was like, what am I going to do? I don't want to, I can't just try and be an artist in a year. That just doesn't happen. If you're an artist, you're an artist. Like high school doesn't matter. None of that shit matters. It's like when you get out into the real world, like that's when you, it really hits you. If you're doing good work, then you're going to get discovered like that. And I wasn't even out there at that point. So it was kind of a, uh, I I just didn't really think about it, you know, and I didn't want to work in a gallery behind the data part of it or booking artists. I wanted to be in the gallery if I was going to be in the gallery at that point. So I said, well, I mean, I always wanted to be a luthier. I always wanted to build guitars and do stuff like that. And, you know, who who would I want to work with? So I made a list and Rick was, you know, number one on the list because I had watched his stuff throughout high school and um and I just knew what he was doing with the reclaimed wood and and all those sort of very DIY and honorable kind of like if you get a guitar from me you're getting a guitar from me not like not even me and my apprentice because like I don't work on his guitars like that and and it's like I'm learning from him but from the very get-go it's kind of like I've been building up my own brand because he's it's very cool. Like, there's a lot of people that are like, okay, I'm passing down the tradition. So, like, if you get one of my guitars, like, it's me and this guy working on it from this part to this part. But that's not how it has ever been here. It's like, I've pretty much been building my own stuff from the get-go. And um, that's, I mean, I, I, it's cool because we're both very DIY. And it's like, you know, we like to do things ourselves. But I'm, I'm, but I'm, I've learned exactly the way that Rick's built, you know? Um, and yeah, I just knew that if I wasn't going to get a a job with Rick, I probably wasn't going to do that. I would have to figure something else out because I knew that nobody else had the same sort of background and I knew that nobody else had really 
the same sort of respect for what they were doing as Rick did and does. <laughs> But when you came in here the first days, uh, it wasn't already totally clear that you're also going to build guitars or was it? Oh, no, it was like I, the artwork had nothing to do with why I showed up here. I actually came in here saying I want to build guitars. Um, Rick, I give Rick total credit for the artwork because I I just kept saying, you know, nobody is going to want um, nobody is going to want a portrait on their guitar. Nobody is going to want any sort of wood burning or painting or anything like that is like nobody's used to seeing that since the 1950s when electric guitars came out it's like you you see blackguard blondes from leo fender or you see bursts with gibson i mean it's just um or or you know gold tops it's like you see a lot of very traditional stuff even with the 80s it's like okay you have colors but you're not having like that many crazy you know decked out guitars when it comes down to those are very very custom things But it's not a majority of people who would want that. But Rick kept saying, like, you got to just do this. You know, you're talented with it and all this. And he was like, you got to just keep doing it. And um, I've just had orders ever since. You know, I did a few of them. And then, you know, some of the locals that saw what I was doing who came in all the time started ordering stuff. And I've I've just had orders since then, which is shocking for me. But it's... It's good because this is really about the building. It's about um, the playability of the instrument slash tool because it is a tool for music. Um, and it's it's about the tone, you know, first and foremost. And then people who can appreciate something a little custom, whether it's the tiniest little you know, inch thing on the back of a headstock or the entire face or entire body or entire guitar customized. It's like the for anybody who can appreciate that, then that's great. And I can do that for them. So it's just an added kind of bonus and a lot of fun for me because I love art, you know, but it wasn't something expected. Yeah, that's how I fell in love first with the visual part of the guitars and then got more and more interested in the story of you both yeah. or of the shop. And I... um. To summarize it a bit, uh, not being a guitar builder, but uh, um, there are maybe three, the most special things about your guitars is that they are made from scratch or you shape all the wooden parts, which is not a common thing. That's something you taught me too. You know, you're not only assembling it. And also uh, the wood is very special. So I would love um, for you to tell me again what makes the wood so special you use. Right, so what makes the wood so special that we use is that these are trees, number one. They're all, it's all like old pine. We have white pine, we have mostly white pine, but we have some yellow pine, Douglas fir. They're just, they're all conifers. Uh, these are trees that grew upstate New York for three to four hundred years. And then they are brought down in log runs. So when winter froze over, they'd throw them in the Hudson River and then when they defrost they'd come down the stream and they would bring them to New York and um and they would be indoors in these buildings they built New York City and Brooklyn I mean I haven't gotten any Queens or or Staten Island or Bronx wood but I mean Brooklyn and Manhattan we've gotten wood out it's the same stuff I mean 
I can't like Rick always talks about how many trees he can't even imagine how many trees just built these you know burrows um but they came down they were indoors in these famous buildings for another 150 200 years expanding and contracting and throughout the winters and the summers what basically happens with the conifers specifically because they're the oldest trees in the world all the pine trees they're conifers um, they grow the straightest in grain because they don't have to reach through the canopy to get to the sun to get sunlight because of how they're shaped you know um, so they expand and contract and and the molecules basically the the grain is very straight because of that and the molecules they crystallize and open up and so on a molecular level, you would look through it. It would be like a bundle of straws. Um, so it just makes the wood very light in weight and very resonant. So that's like number one um, on like the, like Rick calls it the mystery of the molecules. Um, and that's like the first thing besides it being historically relevant. Now, the second part of what we're doing is that's so special is that um, – Number one, Rick's been building for 52 years now. Um, I've been building for about eight. The shop's been here for 30. But we're not builders that are like, oh, we're building guitars, um, except we don't make the necks. We order the necks. A lot of builders are not making their necks. They're just making bodies, and they're using newer wood on top of it. Um, but we make everything from scratch, including our templates. We don't make pickups here because we focus on the wood, we focus on the build, and we want people who just make pickups to make our pickups. So we use guys that sit in their shop. It's like a one-man shop kind of thing, like kind of like Don Mayer or my buddy Mark here in New York City, Dark Moon. He he sits and he does everything himself. He hand winds all the pickups. So like that part we don't do, but we do everything else ourselves, you know, the finish, the routing, the sanding, the templates, the wiring, everything else we do here. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of a different thing because this wood is basically like a lot of the guys that use the guitars, they're, they're guys that have been around for a long time, everybody from... Motley Crue to Bob Dylan, uh, Rick's done um, guitars for, I've done a handful of people, including Kurt Vile, uh, Ian Dougherty, and Jackson Smith. Um, but even even for like G.E. Smith, they're, 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 they're all people that kind of will take these on the road. They just sound like vintage instruments to begin with because the wood is so old. And they only get better. Like, but I mean, it's literally, it's like getting an, a vintage instrument from the get-go, except it's not. And it really does break in still somehow. But I mean, it's just, it's just really great wood. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's amazing. And I would love to go um, into one of your um, custom guitars or a side note. It's my so far favorite Cindy guitar. Inspired by the Catwoman movie with Michelle Pfeiffer. It is totally covered with vinyl, stitched together with shiny white threads, and has neon letters on it saying, Hell here. Cindy freaks out when I ask her about this one because she sold it not too long ago. 
Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think it was gonna be gone, but it's gone. Yeah. Can you tell me again where that comes from? Because I feel like you know that's that's a, that's a real art piece. Because for me, art is something where you transform something to make it very short. You know. Yeah. But the way you transform it is so smart. I think so. I love it. So basically, um, I had the inspiration for the Catwoman guitar. Um, Rick had done the Bat V. When was that, Kel? He did the Bat V in the 1980. And he had just done this really cool, it looked kind of like a, a mix between a Batwing and like Batman's car. And, but it was all carved wood and it just, it was so smooth and like, the, I mean, he used to do like really crazy spray finishes, whereas we can't do that in New York now because of the laws. But he was doing that for, for decades. And uh, he had this crazy matte black super smooth finish on all this wood that was really cool carved and and so I was going you did the bat v and and I don't I don't even remember exactly how I came up with it I think that I've just always loved Batman Return I love Michelle Pfeiffer with that with the the I love like she bends over to draw attention to the black latex legging she's wearing today I have them on right now actually yeah. it's so funny I haven't worn <laughs> these in so long but like yeah. I love oh. like latex and And like shiny vinyl clothes and stuff. So I was like, oh man, I gotta do like a Catwoman guitar, you know, because you did the Batman guitar. It's like, I have to do Catwoman. And so I was like, who's my favorite Catwoman? Michelle Pfeiffer, obviously, with the stitching and all that. And I actually found this is kind of like an added thing, but I found the original um, latex people that made her costume recently. I have to send it to you because it's really cool. I will. Um, But yeah, so I was like, I have to figure out because I was already doing leather face guitars and stuff because I'm known for leather work as well. I was kind of like, I got to figure out how to do like a latex face guitar. So I got this really crazy vinyl leather um, and I cut it and hand stitched it all. And I hand stitched my logo even for the headstock and inlaid it. And um Yeah, that was just like one of those things. And it was around Halloween, so it made even more sense just because it's such a crazy build. But um, it was just really like, okay, Rick did the bat, like the bat V. I have to do Catwoman. And like, I, it just made sense for me. So I just went for it. And I did the hell here on the pick guard, you know. Because it comes from that moment where she's standing. Yeah, yeah. she yeah, yeah, she's standing in the window in the, the neon lights, which is like very old school New York. We have neon here. I love neon lights and like those signs and stuff. But she has the hello here and the O and the T are, you know, kind of going out. So it says hell here. <laughs> she's in the spandex in the window. It's like the best scene ever. Yeah, it's so good. So I was like, I gotta do, I gotta do a guitar based on that, you know? It's it's cool to be able to do a guitar based on, you know, a movie scene, a specific movie scene or a specific outfit or like whatever, or just do something traditional. But yeah, I, I love like the more interesting kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just perfect. It's not too much, <laughs> but it captures it all. Yeah, And then it's a guitar. That's so cool. Um, just like for detail, because I'm gonna be mad if I'm not asking. You said something is forbidden in New York now. That's some color or something. Oh, um, you can't have a spray booth anymore in New York because of. What uh, is it specifically? Nitro and Polycal? Yeah, it's the residential laws. Yeah, you. 
Yeah, you just you just can't spray lacquer in New York City because you know it's toxic and you know. Whereas you used to be able to have spray booths and stuff, but people kind of caught on to that because it's <laughs> health hazardly horrible for everybody. So um, yeah, um, so we the cars are no problem or what? What, honey? The cars are no problem. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Because this is somehow also a public place, you know, it's a store, everybody can come in. And I worked in an atelier which was public too. Mm -hmm. And these places somehow, sometimes they um, they let magical moments happen, you know, some people come in or stuff happens. Is there a story you remember as being somehow um, unique or special or magical, however you want to call oh, it? Oh, man, I mean... I feel I feel like every day here is magical honestly. I mean there's oh it's it's kind of funny like you you just you never know who you're going to run into. You never I mean you just, you could say that in general, but you just never know who's going to come into the store. Um you never know what ideas you're going to have. I mean it's so inspiring being in a place like this. Um but I mean, I could give you a goofy little example. Like we like <laughs> we have funny little magical moments. Like I'll mention someone, I'll be like, "Oh, I wonder how this person is," and they'll just like come in or they'll like call like ten minutes later. And Rick's like, "What is going on?" You know, he always does that. Like what? Like you just you were just talking about them. Why are they here? You know, and like that that's kind of like one of those things. But I mean, it's it's just. Um, It's cool because, I mean, even like the movie, I really loved what Mark Rebo said in the in the documentary that Ron Mann did on us. Um, he was talking a lot about community and and it's like, you know, there's and, and, and Ron Mann himself would talk about this place being like a 1920s post office where and it's true because some musicians will drop something off for another musician. It's like. Oh, can you give this to like Patty or oh, can you give this to uh Jim Jarmish or like, you know, whoever and it's like people back and forth and you know, and it's like, well, it might not be like a month or something till we see them, but sure, we'll hold it, you know. Then they come by and then they'll leave something for the other person, you know. And so it's it's just it's very interesting. Um There's just so many examples. I mean, even even the fact um, the movie Guitar with Ron, um, the McSorley's guitar, uh, he he bought it as a present for the writer Lenny, and and he was a good musician years ago and kind of dropped it, and he hadn't played in 30 years, and he got this guitar as a present afterwards, and he's been playing like seven hours a day now. You know, like that's magical. You know, like he's He's back into it. It's like a good thing, you know. Um, I think that it all kind of goes into what Rick says about the mystery of the molecules, especially here, you know. Um, the old, the, this, where we build back here was actually a speakeasy back in the 1920s. So this is actually the backyard. It's on slab concrete. There's nothing under us. The basement is up front, you know. that That's just the up front part is the house. So... Back then, um, you would, in the Prohibition days, you'd go through the next, not the shop door, but the one next to it that says 42, because they both do. 
and you'd go through the through the hallway and the back wall of our bathroom that way is actually was actually the speakeasy door which we have downstairs still with the little thing that you could open rick wants to use it as a regular bathroom door so people can open it when you're in there which is like so silly but but yeah it's like it, it you used to be able to open it and put the password and come through the bathroom back here and it was like a dance hall and speakeasy and all that and um i mean even that is like magical in itself you know it's there's just so much history and 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 so many cool like new york vibes and just stuff in general that goes into what we're doing you know there's so much love put into it it really is a labor of love you know when i've been here last time there have been so many people coming in you called some of them the squad like people who come in oh, very squad. often yeah the bum squad yeah yes the bum squad yeah they're they've been a big part of this place even since before long before i've been here um since rick started the place There was always a handful of dudes who would come here and hang out and have a couple beers or have a, you know, whiskey or whatever and just watch and, you know, just bullshit. And it, it's just, it's kind of, it's just very old school. You don't find places like this anymore. You really don't. And, and, it, and it really is about community and friendship and family and, you know, learning and, and just everything. There's, you know, it's, it's a very relaxing, Uh, inspiring environment to be in and I also felt like you are so much yourself that's not a common thing you know and but like there are people coming in like Adam Sandler or something but I cannot imagine that you are going to be starstruck one second or like you're just not afraid of people or their fame or something or yeah oh geez yeah with people I've always um I think actually that has a large part with me I think growing up in the punk scene because I would go see these bands that I was really into and they would be so involved in the crowd or be hanging out you know afterwards and you'd get to just bullshit with them or just you know ask them about songs or buy a shirt or whatever and you know this singer would be standing there behind the merch table or whatever and they could be bands that were around since the 70s from England or something you know Like I remember I, I met Charlie Harper from the UK subs and he was standing behind his merch table in New Jersey. I was like, what are you doing back here? You know, you should like, what is going on? You know, but for me, you know, that was kind of like crazy, you know, um, but regardless of that, it's, it's just, um, I think that you just grow up a certain way where, um, I don't know if it has to do with respect for yourself or, or just learning in general or whatever, but I feel like you know that people are just people. And I think when you are really into something, whether, you know, because I grew up making clothes, I grew up going to shows, I grew up, I grew up doing all kinds of stuff, including sports and stuff, which a lot of people don't know about. But anything that I've ever been into, I've been really into. And I think that when you know that and you've experienced that, you know that someone who's gotten huge for what they do, it's like they're still a person. They're not this huge, like, out of this world, like, creature that is like, um, it's like you're, it's a person, you know? So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't really get starstruck, but I mean, obviously, there are people that I really look up to, you know, that'll never 
that'll never be different. You know, there's a lot of, I think, I think it's mostly about inspiration. Like I said, though, and I think that I get the most inspiration out of, out of people that I'm the closest with and can relate to the most, including people like Jim Jarmusch. Like, I mean, his, you know, his stuff I've, I've related to so much for so many years. And then I, I became friends with him and he's just so down to earth and, you know, it, it it's just, you hang out with him and it's like, yeah, like I relate, I relate to this, you know, it makes sense. All of this makes sense. They come from the same place, even though we're decades apart or like whatever, you know? So I think that that's a big thing, you know, I, I, I don't, there's a lot of people with the movie now that they come in and they kind of. They're like, oh, I saw you in a movie, you're a rock star or something. And it's like, no, 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 like, I build guitars. It's the same thing with Rick. Like, I goof on him. I'm like, no, he's a rock star. Like, talk to him. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just like you do what you love, and if you're that good at it and you can get it out there and you work hard, it's about putting your hours in. And if you're that passionate, then hopefully you get somewhere because you deserve it, you know? I think someone Thank came you. in. I just your wanted... mom? I don't know. No, I don't know okay. who that is. But um, you're coming here. in. It's okay. No, we're not open. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's something I wanted to talk to uh, you about. Anyways, about Jim Jarmusch because, as far as I researched, um, he's also part that the movie was made about you and Rick, or he told yeah. Ron Man somehow, or like he inspired him, or they were talking about it too. Yeah, so Jim Jim was um, an instigator with the film. So basically, the guy that made the film, Ron Mann, he's been a a documentary maker since the seventies. He did Poetry in Motion. He did um, Comic Book Confidential. He did Grass, um, a whole bunch of other movies. And but he's also been distributing Jim Jarmusch's films. Uh, he's Toronto based, kind of like Canadian, and. Um, He's been distributing Jim's films from there for, you know, 15, 20 years. So they've been good friends. And I think it was beyond other festivals. I think that they were at Big Ears a few years ago. And he was like, why do I keep seeing these, like, Kelly guitars everywhere? What's this Carmine Street thing? Like, what's going on? Like, do you know who this is? And Jim was like, yeah, well, yeah, I know who it is. And then and it was kind of like... um you know, you got to go there and, and meet Rick and Cindy and, you know, you should do a documentary on them and everything. And so Ron just kind of said, okay, well, I got to go there. So he came here and decided that day that he wanted to do the documentary. He just saw something, you know, very special in this place and what we were doing and how we are and, you know, all that stuff. So Within about six to eight months, he was here filming, and that was about two and a half years ago now. So, yeah, it's just it's very cool, yeah. But but I think that Ron also, I know that Ron um, also made our, our documentary in the style inspired by Patterson, which was one of Jim Jarmusch's movies. It was like, it's five days in the life of this shop. So it says like Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, kind of like how Patterson does. And it just goes throughout like, oh, what's going on in the day and stuff. It's not really typical documentary style. Like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and interview someone. It's like what we're doing right now where we're just talking 
or, you know, hanging out and like someone comes in like they just did. And it's that's how the movie is laid out because that's how it is. So it's it's very cool in that sense, for sure. Also, you painted. I've just seen the movie yesterday, Paris, and I felt like I should see it now because I found out. Or not, it's not me who found out, but you painted, hand painted the guitar. And it's so nice. I was like, how does that feel to see that guitar? Because yeah. it's playing a big role in a movie. Oh I, my God. Yeah, it's, uh, that was very weird because, I mean, Jim had been using Rick's dialogue for years about wood and guitars. So Rick was always in the credits for that. And like even Only Lovers Left Alive, like the bullet, Rick made the bullet in there the iron we have the ironwood here yeah, yeah like we make the we, we were making stuff out of the ironwood yeah it's crazy yeah. it's so cool and um i know you love that film oh i love that film yeah i mean i love all of them but i I love that film and um and patterson too though like when he came up to me he was like and this was a very personal thing for me too because it's funny my dad was such a good player um he passed away a, a couple years ago now but But he was a really good guitar player for a long time. I'm just saying that because it's him. He really was a good player. But he but he never had money. And, and he ordered this Esteban guitar at my, at my grandmother's house when I was younger. And, I, and he gave it to me. And, like, nobody ever wanted Esteban guitars ever. And, you know, it's like the dude on TV with the freaking, uh, what's it called? What's that thing called? The, um... Um, QVC or whatever, basically, you know, it's like the the yeah. the commercial yeah, channel or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he was like, "Oh, it's an Esteban, like whatever, just like take it." And I was like, "Okay, well, he's been, you know, using this forever. Whatever, I'll just like use it as a as a beater guitar and just leave it at home." So, I had that forever, and I've never known anybody else who like wanted anything to do with an Esteban and Jim came in one day and was like and I don't even think Jim knows this I haven't even I don't even think I told him about this but he was like yeah you know these these you know Esteban came out with this limited edition like Harlequin thing but you know I can't really find any or anything like I want it to look like that and so he was like can you just like strip this and customize it to with the diamond pattern and everything I was like whoa I was like this is like really crazy and I was like yes And Rick didn't want to take it on. He was like, Cindy will do it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not even touching that. So yeah, I had to like print out a diamond pattern and hand do it. And actually that took like three or four tries to get right because, you know, when you have something shiny and thick on 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 a guitar already and you try putting certain paint over it or whatever, it's like we didn't really want to strip it all the way. We wanted to just kind of try and uh sand it a bit and do it as as fast and as as easy as possible because we had a deadline with it at that point and um it was just like kind of like oh man like we got to get this done like really well but the first try it, it just didn't work so I had to sand the whole thing back out redo it relay everything out but yeah it, it came out great and it was it was so weird to see in the movie because I had no idea what kind of part it was going to play in the movie so yeah I'm definitely I'm very honored to be like part of of anything with his stuff you know it's just it was just too cool yeah it's 
Do you know where the guitar is now? I was wondering. Did you get it? Is he playing it? Is Quirl playing it? I, sh I should text him and ask him. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to ask him. I haven't asked him. That's like one of the things... Uh, You know, we, we don't, when we, when we see each other, it's, you know, every few months or six months or something like that. So there's a lot to catch up on. And I always forget to ask that, but I'm so curious myself. Yeah. I'm going to have to remember to ask him that next time. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know where it is right now, though. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Because I haven't seen a movie until yesterday and I didn't know how much the black and white part played a role in that movie. So the guitar had this wonderful frame and, She being a painter too, yeah. Yeah, it was it was very relatable, even though it was like um I I it was it was really cool because I'm very like I love black, I love white. I've never been that into color until recently and uh and I've always been super detail oriented and obviously still am. I mean that's not <laughs> you can't get rid of that once you are. It's just not happening. But I mean I can appreciate like minimalistic type stuff and I know Jim's very minimalist sort of when it comes to certain things and you know even the leather pick guard that I made for his strat that he has he like he didn't want any like details or anything on it I just had to do like black stitching around the edge all black leather that's it you know and um and yeah it's, it was cool seeing that she was painting her curtains and stuff and all this but like it was like I just I love the patterns and you know dots and all that and stripes and it was it was very cool to see the whole thing going on and you know even that part was a lot about learning and stuff you know someone picking up the guitar for the first time and getting so excited about it even though it's this simple goofy little song old school song you know it's it's very cool I love that he did that yeah Oh, nice. Um, but you were talking about um, Only Lovers Left Alive before and now about the details. And it, had, it has more opulence, like the whole fashion in Only Lovers Left Alive. Is that maybe why you can relate to it more? The whole, you know, visual. I feel like it also... And Only Lovers Left Alive. Yeah, it relates a bit more to what you are doing with an also Victorian... Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're both very relatable between like the poetry... Um, and then, yeah, Adam's like, uh, is his name, his name's Adam in the movie, I think. Oh, Patterson. No, and, and no, and Only Lovers Left Alive. Ah, no, no, that's too long ago. I think his Probably name's Adam in the movie. Today. Um, I know he, do, I know he uses Adam Driver, but I think his name's Adam. I mean, I could be wrong. Um, but he, but, um, yeah, I mean, his whole setup in the, in the house, like they use this crazy house in Detroit. Um, that he found and you know there's a whole story behind that too but but yeah I mean the the visual aspect of that movie and then just the tone I mean the story of that movie for me is just very relatable you know it's 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 very romantic but it's a it's very morbid <laughs> in, in a sense you know it's just kind of um it's For me, it just feels like how I've felt about a lot, even if it's not that specific situation. Obviously, I mean, besides the vampire part, it's just like the whole thing is just very relatable visually, uh, mentally, emotionally. All of that is just completely relatable. Whereas, obviously, it's like Patterson's a little different, too. I mean, Patterson's relatable just because of 
I think it's the same kind of relatable. I mean, it's just how Jim does his movies. It's just how he makes his movies. If you watch a Jim Jarmusch movie, you know it's a Jim Jarmusch movie. doesn't matter what it is. And that's what makes someone really good at what they do. Like, you could be a movie maker, but who are you? What are you doing? You could be an artist, but what are you doing that's different? But not necessarily this crazy different thing. It's just like, like you need, you have a voice. It's literally, it's like, it's just a different style, you know? Like you just have your own style. And that's a lot to say to be successful with that. And Jim's been like that since he started. That's, I think that's part of also it's relatable, whereas, like, that's what I've always wanted to do with what I've been doing. But, um, yeah, it's like as soon as you see a Jim Darmish movie, you know it's a Jim Darmish movie, you know? It, if you see a, um, if you see um, on some Kiefer's work, you know it's his work. He's a painter, yeah. you know? Yeah. If, you, if you see Daniel Arsham's work, you know it's him. You know, it's like there's there's just so many people. It's like, you know, it's them. Mm -hmm. That's what makes something amazing. That's what makes something different and great. And that's, I think, the ultimate goal for any musician, artist, um, poet or or movie maker. Develop your personal style or your personal style and your personal voice on any level or sense that you want to make of it. You know, it's it's like you could be saying the same thing, but how are you saying it? Yeah. So, but um, you've been a protagonist. We've talked about that before, a bit of a movie too. And I know I remember the first minutes. It was a late showing. I don't know if I told you that. And I actually, normally I fall asleep, you know, going to the cinema very late. And I was like um, captured by a minute one. And I thought you are a rock star. And what is she doing there? But like, because the way you're framed in the first moment is just so beautiful you have this aura then it's like oh she's working there she's this dedicated artist um builder um which is something you unfortunately have to say very often because many people i hate to go into that so only short but as you can imagine cindy being a woman is not the most common thing in the world of guitar building so people sometimes think she's only the artist or maybe the saleswoman but as i said We don't have to go into that. I was just wondering that it was um, also life-changing, you said, somewhere, the movie. Is that true? Or oh, of course. What? I mean, the, the movie, of course, has been life-changing. I mean, huh, it's, it's, it, it was one of those things. Rick and I kind of went, okay, yeah, sure, make a movie. It's like we've had the New York Times in here doing a, you know, an article. We had people coming in here and filming and whatever. And it was like, okay, well... You're friends with Jim, but a lot of people are probably friends with Jim. We don't know what's going on. Like, he didn't come in with him. And it's not that we were, like, saying, like, oh, you're, like, nobody. It's not like that. It's just, like, we didn't... It's like, yeah, you film whatever you want. We don't care, you know? <laughs> Anybody can come in and film. Like, we don't mind, you know? It's whatever. It's just that, I like, my my point of that is that we didn't expect anything of it, you know? it, it We just... And especially because Ron had, he, he kind of, he kind of, he's very like Rick in this sense, not just straight being a hippie, but he is a hippie. I mean, they're both hippies. They're just old school 60s kind of, you know, go with the flow kind of dudes. And it's like, 
okay, well, whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen. Just let it happen and we'll take it from there. And so Ron had this whole thing written out for us and he tried to get us to do scripts and he ended up using everything after that. It's like, okay, start with this. Like, hey, you guys, you say this, you say that. And then me and Rick would just keep talking. Like he kind of got the clue like, okay, like let them just keep talking because this is not going to work. Like they are not, they're clearly not (laughs) actors like by any means, you know? So like for, for that, it was... It was kind of just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, But then it was like, okay, like, hey, the movie is going to be finished soon, you know. And um, it's opening at the at the Venice World Film Festival. And it was like, what? Was like, what do you mean the Venice World <laughs> Film Festival? Like, where in? Like, because uh, like, I don't even know that much about movie festivals or anything. It's like... Yeah, you hear about it and stuff, but I'm not one to keep up on pop culture or anything like that. I don't listen to the radio unless it's in a store, and even then I probably get annoyed with it. You know, it's like we we have BGO on here, which I even get annoyed with that. It's like <laughs> I like I like big band and stuff. I don't like like I'm not like into jazz like that. Like like but obviously I mean it's old New York, whatever, it's great. But um but yeah, it's it's just like one of those things. It was like, what are you talking about? You know, and I and that even that didn't quite hit me until I landed, got got to the like the boat for Venice, and there were photographers there snapping photos of us. You know, and it was like, what the hell is going on? You know, like I'm. I literally, it's like, I just came from Newark, New Jersey, (laughs) and it's like, you know, uh, filthy with sawdust and every other thing, and I just changed real quick and got on the plane, and now I'm here, and there's people taking photos of me, you know? So, so that was very bizarre, and then, you know, the first night was, um, was Ryan Gosling's, uh, movie, and, and, it's not that I was bored. I was just really jet lagged. You know, I, I'd never been in Italy before and I was exhausted. And, uh, because Ron had been, um, one of the judges there before he got really good seats behind like the director of Hellboy and like all these famous movie people were sitting with us. So they're like, filming all these people and I'm like practically snoring in the background and it's like I'm really not being rude or like you know pretentious it's just I'm tired you know it's like I'm like I'm just literally tired but it was an amazing experience and and um you know it was like the next day I was walking the red carpet with Ron and and or or that day I guess it was yeah that day and then we went to the movie and um and then we went to the the dinner and and then we went to our movie premiere which was we had a red carpet and Ron was like if Rick had any like any album to play on the red carpet like what would it be and I was thinking well you know he the last seven or eight guitars that he made for Lou were you know Lou's gone now he went to his you know memorial and you know he still has the picture on his computer the last seven years you know it's like I think we should play the Velvet Underground. So we so we played Femme Fatale on on the uh on the on the red carpet, you know. Ooh. 
shiny boots of leather on the red carpet and at the Venice Film Festival in, in Lido, you know, walking up to the, it was just like, whoa, <laughs> just some, yeah, yeah, I have goosebumps, yeah, exactly, it's just, it's just so surreal, you know, and then from there, it was like a week later, Rick and I went to Toronto for the Toronto Film Festival, and then it was a New York Film Festival, and then, um, and then we went to Sag Harbor, and then I went to France, and then we went to Amsterdam. I went to South Korea by myself, and and we might still go to London and Stockholm come the new year. So it's just like, it's very, very bizarre. And I went to Woodstock, too, in the meantime for it, you know, and everybody there is amazing as well. And the whole experience has just been really weird. But um, so I, I just, it's one of those things things that um f- since I started here like I would not even be on social media if it wasn't for what Rick is doing like I got off of social media when I was younger for multiple reasons but um you know Rick doesn't have a cell phone and he doesn't bother with the gear page or any of the forums that people look at guitars on he doesn't want to know he doesn't care he doesn't want to know he just wants to build and he just likes positivity. He doesn't want to hear any of the bullshit, you know. So I was like, yeah, but people should really be seeing what you're doing. Like like certain generations are not going to go on the gear page to look at this, you know. Like you should be on. And he had a Facebook at that point. But it's like he really needed to kind of jump into a whole different generation with what he was doing because he was doing it for so long. And I just kept going, why is nobody doing a movie on you? Like, why don't, like, you know, like, I got to just do the Instagram for you. So I started the Carmine Tree Guitars Instagram and everything. But, and, and I kept saying, like, why has nobody done, like, a documentary on you or something? And um, I, I never thought I'd be in it, you know. I mean, I never thought I would be in it. It's, I just, I can't be more thankful. But, you know, I, I've, I definitely, um. But I know that if if anybody could carry on the way that Rick's doing stuff, it's me. Like, that's really what I feel. I'm happy to be in this position. I'm confident in this position. Like, I I do everything exactly the way that he is, being so detail-oriented, you know? So... On that on that principle, it's it's just uh, it feels meant to be regardless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful that you've been in that movie too. Yeah, <laughs> with I mean, such there's an inspiration. Been so many people coming in too. It's it's now it's kind of like there's a lot of people coming into the point where you know we're kind of putting in extra hours, which is great. Yeah. But it's still it's like you know. We got a lot of orders. It's just us doing this, you know. It's just me doing everything that I do. I take care of both social medias. I take care of my email. I take care of uh, some of some of Rick's email, really, because of the social media. I have to direct them and bullshit with everybody, and you know. And then I build my own guitars. I deal with the repairs here with him. I deal with the shop, and then it's life. If you get sick you get sick, you lose hours, that's all there is to it. You know, you're not going to get paid overtime or paid sick or anything like that. You know, you build something up this way, then you build something up this way. It's a sacrifice in that sense a lot. And and I don't think a lot of people realize that. You know, I've seen people get very impatient with Rick, and I just look at them like, 
It's like, you know, it's like, you know that Rick's at like a, about a two year waiting list and you ordered your guitar four months ago and you're like, hey, what's going on? You know, it's like, do you, it's like, I just, like, do you know what you're getting? Like, you're not getting a Fender. I mean, no offense to Fender. It, or Gibson or Martin or, or any of them. It's like, it's just not a big company. It's just one person doing everything. The neck, the body, the inlays, the frets, everything. Yeah. Wiring, finish. Dealing with the shop, with people coming in all day. It's, it's just, it is what it is, you know? If you want something super special... You get something super special, but you got to be patient, you know? And we put all of our, we put everything into it. We put our all into it. We try to make everybody happy and we're always working on, you know, 10 to 15 different things, but that's what you got to expect, you know? If you got to bug us, bug us. But that's a huge topic what you're talking about because also the handcrafted things are like somehow in style for some years, but there's a lot of education to do to tell people. You know, and that's what it takes. <laughs> If you want to have it, you know, yeah, like it's just something it's like, that needs time. We need more patience in general, right. I think. Like you, I'm talking to myself too now. Yeah, yeah, we obviously are not doing this for the money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's not that we're not, um, we're not living. It's not like we're broke, broke. But but we're not we're not millionaires or anything of the sort by any means. It's like we do this because we love it and we give people breaks and we work with people. Musicians don't have money. We want people to play our guitars, you know, um, and it's just um, this. It's just not it's not like doing mass. You just you're not mass producing. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's a it's a very fine line because Rick and I are we're not in the place where it's like, okay, well, we're building up to be a big company. It's not like that. You know, Rick, Rick has been doing this for 52 years, the same exact way, self-taught. I'm the one that's taking this on. I'm not going to do it any other way. You know, not under my brand, mm -hmm. you know, no way. Not not under my brand as his apprentice and his, you know, carrying on his legend. No, no way, you know. Um, and and that's just kind of a you can only do so much. You can only you can only um, make so many things in a certain amount of time because you're hand making it. You know, if I wanted to make a, a lot more money, I could easily sell out get an investor and give them all my ideas. Because the amount of ideas that I have for my stuff, it's like I literally, I say all the time, even between, even outside of guitars, between art, clothing, uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff. It's like I could be doing a million things right now if I had the money. If I had the money and, and the, the company, the people working for me, forget about it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not in it for that, you know? It's like if, if I had a month in a day, that's the amount of time that I would need to get everything done on time that I think of. And, I, and I'm serious about it. You know, I have so many ideas mm -hmm. and there's just so many hours that go into everything, you know. But um, but that's really what it is. Um, we do this because we love it. 
we do this because we believe in it. And, and, you know, I grew up DIY like he did. I grew up the way he did with, you know, I mean, I don't know if he grew up going to garage sales, but I grew up going to garage sales and looking at antiques all the time. And, you know, he, he's a painter and sculptor. I'm a painter, you know, and, and, and it's, it's just that whole art DIY sort of hands-on lifestyle and, and reclaiming things, forget about it. I mean, that's what it's all about. Stories, history, carrying on what's been before, you know, it's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Cindy. I have two more questions, two more tiny questions to just slip out, you know, like we have a smooth, <laughs> um, I just wanted to know, because you're doing so much, we talked about that last time and always when I come in, there's so much going on. So how do you recharge? What what do you do to just get your head off okay. of things? Or What do I do to recharge? I, I honestly, oh man, I don't, you know, that's the thing about this. I'm not in, a, in an office job. I'm not in an office job. Honestly, like if I didn't have this place, I don't know like, where I would be or if I would be honest. I mean, I'm being honest. It's like, I don't know if I would even have lasted this long at this point. It's like, this is like a huge, it's a huge thing for me because I, I've, oh man, um, this is really the stress reliever for me. The only thing that's a little bit stressful is like, okay, I have to have, you know, two guitars done by Christmas. But hey, I have to have two guitars done by Christmas. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's time, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like yeah. a little stressful. Like, okay, yeah. okay, like I got to do this. But like at the same time, it's, it's like, I can't complain about that. Are you kidding me? I'm not good. I'm not like, it's like at one point um, when I first started out, I was still doing a couple jobs two days a week. And I hated it. I mean, not that I hated, hated it, but it was like, I wanted to be here. Um, I think Rick and I are also the same in the sense that we don't like authority. I think that has a lot to do with where I came from and why I related to the punk scene, that whole anti-authority sort of thing. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, you know, that's just how it is. Um He never liked taking orders from people. He's always done stuff his way. He still does. I'm, I can get on his case about it. We argue, but like <laughs> when it comes down to it, it's like, okay, I get it. Like, I'll shut up. <laughs> like, whatever. But, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, there's, there's certain things that I need to do to wind down, but I think that, um, It's more about what goes on outside of the shop. I feel like the shop is like kind of like the savior for me rather than the stress point. Yeah. Okay, last one. Just because you told me you're going to Miami to see the Art Basel. What are you excited about there? Oh, man. Honestly, I haven't. I'm kind of like I haven't ever been to Miami. Um, I've been wanting to go to to art Miami and art Basel for like almost a decade now. And uh, my friend Gregory uh, Thornberry at the New York Academy of Art, um, he's the one that kind of got me into all this stuff this year. So I'm super thankful. And uh, I just honestly, I haven't looked into any of the stuff. 
because I kind of just want to let it happen. Um, I know that the opening night's going to be amazing and the following day I think I'll be meeting up with him and some other people and I found out like randomly it wasn't even like uh planned or anything it was just Ron the director and his wife will be there so that's going to be amazing and a couple other people that I know will be there I'm sure more than a couple it's just that the couple of people that I know will be there so it's I think it's going to be like a productive and and really good time but um I I think like I I'm kind of bummed out that I'm leaving the winter behind. I love winter. I like I love New York City in the winter. Even when it's raining like this, it's like yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love the snow. I love the rain. I love the cold. Um, so going down south, I I'm kind of just gonna be. I'm not gonna be dressing like sweaters and stuff, but it's you know, I'm kind of like all right. Well, I'm still gonna be wearing my long sleeve like Victoria Hayes stuff. She's my she's my designer friend and she's New York based, very old school, but like kind of coming up really big designer, amazing stuff. Um, so I'm excited to wear her stuff. I'm excited to go swimming, honestly, because yeah. I've been like a huge swimmer. So I got a hotel with a big pool. So I'll be like up early swimming and I'm just really excited to see everybody's work. I mean, it's. It's all about inspiration for me. It's not really so much about connections with I think a lot of people go down to places like that for. I just think that it's it's really about the inspiration to carry on like your own thing, you know. Um, I think that's really important because when it, when it comes down to it, it's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's very, uh, it's a very cliche kind of a thing, but I've especially the last year or so it's kind of like well live your live this day like it's your last day and it's like okay well what if this was my last day would I be happy with what I'm doing did I did I really accomplish everything that I wanted to mm-hmm. not really I mean I don't have enough hands for that I don't have enough time for that <laughs> it's like you better either write it down like or like you know it's like work your ass off you know it's it's all about that and and being happy and stuff and and so I think that I'm always growing and trying to learn and work on everything you know that's what it's all about yeah yeah thank you Cindy for me you are an inspiration oh you're an inspiration (laughs) you're so great wow Yay!